grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the fifth and final week of a sermon series that we have been doing entitled Living Hope, based on the book from the Bible, 1 Peter. And every week, as we've taken this book chapter by chapter, Peter, the author, has reminded us that in Jesus Christ we have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and has promised to come again to make all things new. There is nothing in this life that can take us apart from that wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. Peter has reminded us over and over again that we are loved by God, that we are cared for by God. And because we are loved by God and because we love God, Peter has very honestly told us that often the world will not love us. They will malign us, slander us, persecute us. And yet we have heard over and over again that God loves us and has plans for us. And so we're wrapping all this up today in the last chapter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Now if you were to read this, and we read a section of it today, almost all of 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter specifically is addressing the elders of the local congregation in the New Testament, whenever elders are mentioned, uh, they have a variety of different functions at different places in the New Testament, kind of depending on the time frame and which city and culture they find themselves in. However, there's a lot that can be said uh, regarding the role of elders in the New Testament and the role of pastor and elder in the modern church. Just for simplicity, if you can understand basically who Peter is addressing here in 1 Peter chapter 5, essentially our modern day pastor as we understand them would essentially be the role that Peter is talking to. But also Peter is addressing not only the pastor but the leaders of the local congregations. And so that's the frame of mind that we should have here. Peter's talking to the pastors, and to the local leaders, and reminding them about their important role in being shepherds and caretakers of the people entrusted to them. On Sunday, June 14th at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, we, we will get to witness something very, very awesome, very humbling, very exciting. Our new associate pastor, uh, Pastor Kevin Bender, will be ordained into the office of the Holy Ministry which is kind of the fancy way of saying officially he will become a pastor. And so there's this rite of ordination that he will go through, and he will also be installed as pastor here at Saints Peter and Paul. Now, when a, a new graduate from the seminary uh, goes through this process, they can do it in a couple of different ways. Uh, like Kevin has elected to do, his ordination and installation will happen in one combined service here at our church. Uh, when I graduated from the seminary, I did it a little different. I was ordained as a pastor at my home church in Minnesota, and then I was later installed 
here as pastor at Saints Peter and Paul, but it's going to be really cool to witness the ordination and installation of Kevin. In that service, what you will see is you will see Kevin speak vows of promise, uh, acknowledging his commitment to serve faithfully as a pastor, as God has called him to be and as the church has asked him to be. And one of the symbolic things that is done in that rite of ordination is a stole, this piece of material, is draped over the shoulders of that man. I still remember my ordination 10 years ago. I was ordained in my home church, and my dad, who was a pastor, was the one who went through that rite of ordination for me. And uh, brother pastors from the area, some of my, uh, some pastors who were influential in my life and professors uh, came and they laid hands on me and then they placed this stole upon you. And the stole, this what I wear each week, it, it, it's representative of the, the burdens, not in a bad way, but the, the burdens that a pastor carries on behalf of his congregation. The word pastor, if you don't know, literally means shepherd. And so as, as a shepherd carries the burdens of his flock, and I've even heard some say the stole represents like a shepherd carrying a wounded sheep over his shoulders. So I remember my rite of ordination kneeling there without the stole on, and I remember the stole being placed on my shoulders and honestly, I remember it feeling heavy. Not in, a, not in a bad or negative way, but just in the reality of, whoa, this is what God has called me into for my life, to love and serve and care for and walk with people in their joys and in their struggles, in their highs, in their lows, in their grief, in their sorrow, and in their rejoicing. But what a humbling thing it is, and I'm so excited for you to be able to witness this for our new pastor, Kevin, on June 14th. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's clear with the elders and the leaders of the church that it is their responsibility to model Christ for the congregation. And by modeling Christ, Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, they will be accountable to him. So pastors are shepherds, but they are called under shepherds, and Jesus is the real shepherd. So in a sense, I work for Jesus, and we all do in our work of serving and loving one another. But we model what Christ modeled for us. And one of the greatest things that Christ modeled for us and what Peter encourages us to model is humility. Peter says this, clothe yourselves with humility, all of you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Peter is saying, humility in God's sight is strength. <laughs> According to the world, the world would say humility is weakness, but in Christ's name, humility is great strength. 
because in Christ, when we have been weak, He has made us strong. And Christ gave us the greatest example of humility when He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. So Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. That means make yourselves lower so that Christ can lift you up. Make yourselves lower so Christ can lift you up. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This is the invitation for us to approach God as we are. God doesn't say, I ask you to fix yourself, get yourself cleaned up and fixed up before you come to me. I don't want to deal with your anxiety. No, this is the invitation to bring it all and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ because he cares for you. So bring to him your anxieties, your worries, your troubles, your frustrations, your disappointments, your grief, your sickness, your death, and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and ascended over it all. Jesus cares for you. As Jesus is the chief shepherd who cares for all of us, I, as your pastor, care for you. As much as I can, in my sinful human self, I care for you like Christ cares for you. Being a pastor here at Saints Peter and Paul is the most incredibly humbling thing I've ever experienced in my life. This is the only place I've ever served as a pastor. And you all have taught me through your love, through your grace, through your generosity how to be a pastor. And I am indebted to you for this experience. As your pastor and, and together, we've, we've been on the, the height of some mountains together. And we've been in the depths of some valleys together. As a congregation, but maybe even more so in your daily lives, I've been through a lot of life with a lot of you. And I'm so grateful for these experiences. And yet still, 10 years into this call, I'm honest with you when I say I don't know what I'm doing, okay? But we show up and we ask God to show up. And give us his strength and his grace to love one another as he loves us. And I just keep being blown away in the way that God works through his people, through all of you. I'm so humbled by you. One of the most humbling and awe-inspiring experiences I've had as a pastor in these last 10 years has happened here in the last couple of months. And this has nothing to do with COVID, all right? So we don't even need to talk about that. But I want to share with you, at, at the beginning of this year, we launched a fundraising campaign. I know, it doesn't sound very exciting. But we launched a fundraising campaign called Multiply. 
and multiplies intended to be an intentional short-term fundraising initiative to aggressively pay down our mortgage debt in order to accelerate the multiplication of ministries moving forward. Now, we launched this at the beginning of this year, and today I want to share a couple of numbers with you. And if you know me well and you know Saints Peter and Paul well, we don't talk about money all that much. We don't guilt anyone to give. We don't boast about what's been going on. We simply believe that when Jesus Christ is alive and well in our lives that he'll provide for us and his people will be moved to acts of generosity. And so we leave it and entrust it into God's hands. So the numbers I share with you today are simply just to give you a little bit of perspective. When I say this is the most humbling experience of my life, I I just have to demonstrate it. So at the beginning of this year, when we launched this campaign, our mortgage on this 11-year-old building and 15 acres of property was about $830,000. Now, at the beginning of this campaign, we set a goal. We set a goal that by the end of 2020, we would raise, and this is, some people said this is a very aggressive goal and that we should be more conservative about it, but we just said, let's see what the Lord does. So we set a goal and we said, By the end of 2020, we would love to raise $500,000 over and above our regular offerings, which this would essentially double our regular offerings. We want want to try to double that by the end of the year and put all that $500,000 right at our debt, pay it down, so then refinance our mortgage so we can be freed up of that burden of debt for the ministry moving forward. Now, again, we launched this campaign, we we built a website, created videos, sent a letter home, and and at that point, we basically said, just pray about this campaign. If God is moving in your life to start donating now, you can, but we'll follow up again after Easter. Well, during that time, the world unraveled, people's economic stability was called into question, and, and we just said, let's just hold off, but the Spirit was not holding off in many of your lives. I stand before you today, as we sit here today on May 24th, a couple of months ago with $830,000 in debt, with a goal of $500,000 by the end of the year, I stand before you today to tell you that we have already met our year-end goal. $500,000, can you believe that? But wait, there's more. (laughs) Sorry, that is such a lame thing. I'm sorry I said it, but I said it. All right, wait, there's more. Not only have we raised $500,000 by your acts of generosity, but as I stand before you today, our debt on our mortgage is actually $26,000. And by the end of this week, we have enough donations in the bank that we're actually going to write the check and pay the whole thing off. I'm serious. Can you believe it? Nobody had to sell any kidneys on the black market. Nobody, nobody sold any property. Nobody died in order to have this happen. This is God at work in his people's lives, moving them to incredible acts of generosity. When the world is on end and uncertain, people have said, I'm certain 
I'm certain in the ministry of this church, and we want to see this multiplication of ministries. Now, I wish that I could have made that announcement to you in person because I bet your jaws are on the floor and you're a little bit in shock like I am. But when we're together, we will celebrate. Oh boy, will we celebrate. We're going to be debt-free by God's grace and his moving in people's lives. I'm so, so humbled by you. Now, some of you might also be wondering, you know, we called this campaign Multiply. And it was, it was for paying down debt in order to free up funds. And I know some of you actually have already approached me and said, you know, we haven't made our gifts toward that campaign yet. And so maybe you're wondering and have been talking, we were, plan, you know, we were planning on making a gift. Do you still need our additional giving? We're going to be rolling out some information to you, but if you're willing, yeah, because we paid down the debt, <laughs> but we're talking about the multiplication of ministries. And I, I tell you, God is opening incredible doors for this ministry. I know there are more things coming. So what we would do with additional gifts given towards the Multiply campaign is twofold. One would be to create a fund for capital improvement projects on this 11-year-old building, which are, are impending upon us, but also to create a fund to fund new ministry initiatives, things that we're not currently budgeting for. So if you want to continue to give towards the Multiply campaign, they will be put to good use. And one last thing about this mortgage. On June 14th at Kevin Bender's ordination and installation, what we're also going to do, we're going to burn the mortgage. We're going to have a mortgage burning ceremony because we want to close that chapter and, and open up the next chapter of years of ministry of what God's put in front of us. How cool is this? Now, I tell you, not to burst your bubble, but to remind you of the reality in which we live. We have an adversary called the devil, and he doesn't want any of this to happen. Peter very clearly says, your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil will not want ministry to multiply. He just won't. Let's call the thing what it is. He, he doesn't want this to happen. So he is going to try his normal tactics, and I just want you to be sober-minded and be aware. Satan is going to do everything that he can uh, to cause distraction, division, disappointment. He may do it in your own life. He may try to do it congregationally. He, frankly, what, maybe even what he will want to do is for us just to say, oh man, it feels so good to be debt-free. I'm so comfortable and good. Oh, thank you, God. <laughs> Satan would love for that, for us just to say, well, we've made it. We are good now. Satan doesn't want good things to happen in the church. And frankly, one, one more thing. As we begin the discussions about re-engaging in-person worship services, which is another big item that I want to talk about. We just don't have time today. Honestly, uh, I'm going to be putting together some resources this week that will be emailed out to you with our hopeful plan for kind of re-entry. So please pay attention to that. 
But we did a survey in our church over the last week, asking a bunch of questions, but kind of getting at the heart of the question for, for you all, what would it take for you to be comfortable to re-engage with in-person worship? I don't know if you'd be surprised by the results, but they are as varied and numerous as you could imagine. Now, maybe some of you don't imagine that they would be varied and numerous, and you just think everybody must believe what I believe, and, and if they don't, they're wrong because I'm right. <laughs> well, believe it or not, in our congregation, there are a variety of beliefs. Some of you have very strongly held beliefs over here. Some of you have very strongly held beliefs over here. And some of you are somewhere in the middle just uncertain about everything, how you, how you feel about everything. And that's okay. There's room for this. But I have to tell you honestly, as your pastor shepherding the flock, when I look at those survey results, it feels to me like the flock is all over the place. And so I need to tell you that I am praying intensely about whatever decision we end up making. Because I care about you. I care about our church. I love you. I love you. I want us to be together as God's people. But whenever this is happening, that is ripe ground for the evil one to pluck people away. And so my pastoral heart says, stay. Stay, people of God. We will have to make some decisions. I'm going to have to make some decisions. You need to know that whatever decision I make does not come as an arm of some political party. I am not a pawn in any political party. I will make a decision based on what I believe is best for our congregation and for the proclamation of the gospel among us. You have to know that that is my heart in all of this. I have to tell you that so that your minds are ready for the attacks of the evil one because he is blessing us with great things and the evil one does not want any of it. So may I humbly ask you to continue to pray for me and for my wife, Abby, and for my children. I don't ask for prayers a lot, but I ask for your prayers in this because the evil one would love nothing more than to take out the pastor, the shepherd, it only makes sense. So pray for us. Uh, pray for Marcus, our director of youth and campus ministers. He loves those young people and their parents and our college students. Pray for his wife, Laura, and their marriage and their son, Sully. Pray for Jamie, our early learning center director. She labors over the decision about how to reopen our child care center and her husband, Chris, and their daughter, Iris. Pray for our office manager, Judy, and her family, and, and Don, our facilities ma manager, and his family, and Jason, our business manager, and Barr, our organist, and all these people who are making decisions, who are literally putting themselves in harm's way. Because when we step foot into the gospel of Jesus Christ and we proclaim life in the midst of death and light in the midst of darkness and hope in the midst of despair, you better believe that Satan wants to discourage us and pluck us away. So pray for us. Can I ask you that? And pray for Kevin and Molly and their daughter Lily as they prepare to join us as well. I tell you all of this today because I so genuinely love you. 
as the pastor wearing this stole, not as a a sign of, of pride or boasting, but incredible humility. I bear your burdens with you. I know you. I know, I know where your heart is at. And I love you. Please know that. But I have to remind you, resist the devil. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. When it seems like the world is turned upside down, when you watch the media and you don't know where to turn, turn to Jesus, please. Turn to Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, for in him you have hope and life and peace and joy. And if you don't know Jesus yet, get to know him because in him there is life and hope for all of eternity. I want to conclude this message in the way that Peter concludes his letter. Resist him, that is the devil. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.